Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. And I am Paul Essa, a PhD student in the Hebrew Bible program at Yale University. I'm filling in this week as a guest host for Rachel Rand and Rosie Kenderville, who have this week off. Tim, you are our point person this week as we look at the first reading for February 19th, Exodus 24, 12 through 18. This is also Transfiguration Sunday in the liturgical calendar, which I'm sure will come up in our conversation. I'm so looking forward to hearing from you. How would you like us to begin? Mm. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that the last time this passage came around in the Revised Common Lectionary back in 2020, Rachel and I had a wonderful deep dive conversation about it with Dr. Amanda Mbuvi, who's now the Vice President of Academic Affairs at Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. If any listeners would like to pick up on that conversation, which is about 30 minutes, they can search for it uh, on our website. But for this week, I'll just I'll give a few notes, uh, preaching pitfall to avoid, and an angle that preachers could use to incorporate this text into their sermon. Well, that sounds like a typical fast reading approach. Great. <laughs> so uh, how would you perhaps give us a little context for this passage from Exodus 24? Yeah, yeah. So what we have in the lectionary reading is a just a little tiny piece of a longer story of the people of Israel camped around Mount Sinai after their journey from Egypt. Most of chapters 20 to 23 is all about God giving laws in the presence of the whole people, including the, the famous Ten Commandments. Then at the beginning of chapter 24, a smaller group of leaders, Moses, Aaron, and his sons, and the elders of Israel are invited up the mountain to share a sacred meal and to see the God of Israel. Wait, they saw God? Are you sure? Well, that's what the text says <laughs> in uh, 24, 10 to 11, I, which it's interesting you, you respond that way because I, I also tend to forget about that because a few chapters later in Exodus 34, Moses is allowed to see just God's back. And mm-hmm. that is like this huge big deal. But sure enough, back here in chapter 24, 70 of the elders, the priests, and Moses all lay eyes on God. And it says that despite this, God allowed them all to survive. That is so strange. How do you, what do you make of it, Tim? Well, we're on a bit of a rabbit trail here, but my best guess is that this is an artifact of the editorial process by which these biblical texts were written and compiled and passed on. These couple verses here switch to the name Elohim for God, whereas the rest of the story uses Adonai, the the Tetragrammaton. This is one of the reasons, though there are others, that we can tell that there's multiple authorial voices at work here. The text later in Exodus may come from a voice that really elevated Moses as a unique mediator with God. But this text, back here in chapter 24, comes from a voice that saw the priests and the elders as collaborators with Moses. And it's even possible that this is a way of commenting on Moses' encounter with God, saying, oh, yeah, Moses saw God's back in that amazing theophany, but you know what? The priests and the elders saw God too. So let's not get carried away with how great Moses is. Well, you make it sound like the authors and editors of Exodus are having a conversation with each other. Yeah, that's actually exactly how I see it. And the work of interpretation then is to kind of eavesdrop on that combo and see what sense we can make of it. That's fascinating. But I should bring us back on track. We haven't gotten to 24 verse 12 where the lectionary text begins. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we pick up the story as Moses is called to leave behind the others and to go up the mountain, though it does say that Joshua goes with him. And Moses enters this fiery cloud atop the mountain and receives further instructions from God. It says, for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, at this point, I want to actually switch gears a little bit and give some suggestions for preachers who might be preaching, not necessarily from this text, but from the gospel reading, Matthew 17, 1 to 9, which is the story of Jesus's transfiguration for, well, Transfiguration Sunday. Are you sure you would like to venture into New Testament territory? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, trust me, there's a method to this madness. With Exodus 24 in our minds, though, Matthew 17 should sound very familiar. Jesus takes a small group of his followers up a tall mountain where they have this divine vision and are enveloped by a cloud, just like Moses. And Moses is there. Yeah, that's right. Along with Elijah, who also had an encounter with God at Mount Sinai. So so the author of Matthew is telling the story about Jesus and making it rhyme, so to speak, with Exodus 24. That's so interesting. But why would Matthew do that? What does Matthew want his readers to pick up on by making the scene look so much like Exodus 24? Yeah, that's exactly the right question, Paul, because the point of Exodus 24 isn't so much the focus on Moses as it is the result of Moses' encounter with God on the mountain. There, God reveals to Moses all the instructions that will shape the people of Israel as the people of God. God, in a way, gives Moses the charter for how to be God's people. And, And all the smoke and fireworks is really just to identify and kind of credential Moses as the one who's authorized to report these words from God to the people. Yeah. And it's the same deal in Matthew 17. The point of this transfiguration is not so much about the identity of Jesus as like the second person of the divine trinity, though you can find that here if you want. The main point, though, is that this mystical experience atop the mountain identified Jesus as someone who's authorized to speak for God, just like Moses, the mediator of the Torah, just like Elijah, the prototypical prophet. That's why when, when we hear the voice of God, it says, listen to him. In other words, this guy speaks for me. Yes, exactly. So let me just be clear about this. You are saying that the transfiguration is not about Jesus's divinity, Uh, uh, I don't think it is. At least I don't think so today. Ask me again in three years and maybe I'll have changed my mind. (laughs) I mean, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to demote Jesus from his divine status here. Matthew's clear enough about that in the gospel as a whole. All I'm saying is that in this episode in Matthew 17, he has a different point to make. The voice of God says here, this is my son, which is often interpreted as a divine title, but it might not be. But the directive that's given, it isn't so therefore believe that he is divine. No, it's listen to him. The point being that Jesus, just like Moses and Elijah, speaks for God. What about the shiny clothes? Well, yeah, Uh, Moses eventually came down the mountain and his face shined like a light bulb so much that they made him wear a bag over his head. But no one thought that that made him God. Uh, Again, it was part of the signs that he was authorized to speak on God's behalf. And so Jesus's transfigured appearance in the sight of his disciples, I think, made the same point. 
it's a it's a credentialing scene. Okay, so before we end, how would you suggest preachers handle these texts? Do you have pitfalls to avoid? I can foresee a lot, or a possible somewhat angle to propose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So as, as far as pitfalls go, I've sort of been dancing around the main pitfall I see here, which our regular listeners can probably predict. <laughs> Please don't interpret the transfiguration of Jesus as a kind of Christian supersessionist proof text. What? As in, yeah. Moses and Elijah were great, but now Jesus tops them both. Or, or <laughs> Torah and prophets predicted Jesus, but now he's here and his words are so much better than theirs. No, don't do that. If anything, Matthew 17 is drawing a comparison between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It's saying that Jesus belongs in their company. He's authorized to speak divine words just like they were. It's not about superseding or replacing Moses and Elijah. It's about Jesus operating in continuity with them. So if you're preaching the transfiguration and drawing connections to Matthew's patterning of the story after Exodus 24, I would encourage you out there to be explicit about that sense of continuity with the Torah and the prophets that are in this text. Because the alternative, that supersessionism, is sort of the baked-in default for many Christian readers and has had violent consequences for our Jewish neighbors, even to this day. Uh, that's so important to, to emphasize, speaking of like Christian-Jewish relationships. Um, and what, what about preaching angles? What would you advise? Oh, right, right. It, if I were preaching Matthew 17, the transfiguration story, I would definitely back up and tell the story of Exodus 24 so that my congregation could see how Matthew has Jesus kind of cosplaying the scene from Exodus, right? And I'd hit that note of continuity explicitly, as I just said. But where I would drive toward is that divine imperative in Matthew 17, 5, which is Matthew's own punchline in the scene, I think. Listen to him. Mm. If Jesus really speaks for God, then his words should be a regular part of the Christian diet. Oh, yeah. I think so much Christianity is, is, is kind of doctrinal. It's about believing certain things about Jesus. But the command here is to actually pay attention to what he actually teaches. Just as the result of Exodus 24 was this instructional Torah that helped Israel know how to live as the people of God, the result of listening to Jesus' teachings is an instruction for how to actually live as Christians. If hearers leave your sermon on this passage asking, well, then what did Jesus say? Then you've done your job very well, my friends. Of course, that's not the only way to go with this text, but that would be my recommendation. Well, like very few ceremonies end with a question, but ending with a question <laughs> is like a, a good way to end it, I guess. Well, I think that's the right notes to end the episode on. Thanks so much, Tim, for bringing those texts together and helping us get a better sense of them in their own context. Of course. And thanks to you, Paul, for filling in as our guest host these past few weeks. It has been my pleasure. Okay, fresh reading folks, uh, you know the drill. You can find back episodes of the podcast on the website, freshreadingpodcast.com. And you can get access to new episodes by subscribing there or wherever you get your podcast. You can follow and interact with the podcast on Facebook as well. And I know our hosts love to get feedback and conversation in the comments there. We hope that your 2023 is off to a great start. 
and look forward to being with you each week here on the podcast. Until the next opportunity to be together, I am Paul Esser. And I'm Tim McNinch. Have a wonderful week.